and him crucified. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. This ends our reading first from the Gospel of Matthew, and then Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be offered humbly and faithfully. Amen. This morning's reflection, naturally, is for the first Sunday of Lent, right? That period of 40 days when we prepare our hearts and examine our lifestyles to begin the journey to Holy Week and eventually the cross. And the cross, of course, is the central symbol of our Christian faith. And so I thought it appropriate on this Sunday to offer sort of a teaching reflection on the testimony of the cross. I did this maybe five or six years ago, but I realized it's time to revisit this theme. And so I begin with that specific cross. That's our church's cross. It was designed for our church and carved by Emil Zettler. This one is the replica of the one that is right above the altar screen. Now, I think it's important to understand that the cross has always been a rather peculiar symbol of hope, so much so that a fair number of modern churches have actually removed crosses from their worship spaces, and they've done so because they've had this sense that the cross was too peculiar and maybe even unnerving to our modern sensibilities. And I don't know, maybe they're right. I mean, the message of Lent would be way more palatable, actually way more marketable, if on Good Friday, during Holy Week, Jesus didn't suffer on the cross. It would be way easier to attract people to a church if our message was, come to worship God and at the same time, learn to make $5,000 a month from home. That would sell. But the message, come and follow someone who dies on a cross, who dies because he won't stop teaching that the poor and forgotten are not only loved by God, but are to be loved and cared about by us. Because he wouldn't stop teaching that we are to welcome the stranger even when we don't feel like it. Because he wouldn't stop teaching that we are to pray for our enemies. And no matter what the century, that's a harder sell. And the Apostle Paul wrote, as you heard it, without the cross, there is no Easter. Maybe Madeline Langle is right. We need the snows of Lent. Now this very specific cross has several symbols folded into its design. There are four eagles that surround the cross. The four eagles are symbolic of the four writers of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you probably notice that the, the eagles are set on what looks like a disc, but it's intentionally meant to be a circle, which is symbolic of the light of Christ, but also the presence of the Holy Spirit. But there's one more piece to the circle that's important. Circles have no end. It represents our belief that in Jesus Christ, there is the life which is eternal which has no end. That circle reminds us 
of our belief that love is stronger than death. You know, in the very center, then, of that cross and of the, of the circle are vines, leaves. They're specifically grapevines. They, too, have no beginning and no end, just as our life in Christ has no beginning and no end. But they're also to remind us that Jesus broke bread and drank wine during the Passover at what we now call the Lord's Supper with his disciples. It is, of course, the foundation to what we now call communion. But at that last supper, Jesus gives to his disciples a remarkable commandment and a challenge to love one another, he said, as I have loved you. Well, this is, in fact, I think, a beautiful design, and that helps to form the testimony of the cross. But there's also sort of a bit of a caution that the beauty of the cross might obscure the fact that the cross really is a peculiar symbol of hope. In the first century, the Jews and the Gentiles were perplexed by the idea that these followers of the Christ would claim that an instrument of torture, the cross, was in fact a symbol of hope and life. And the Romans and the Greeks in general were baffled that the Christians believed that their God even cared about humanity. Even more baffling is that their God suffers. It was incomprehensible to the culture into which Jesus came, lived, taught, died, and was resurrected. Now there's one other fact that's sort of curious about the cross in our tradition. It doesn't appear in any ancient Christian art until the fourth century. It's a long time, right? But what does appear early on in our tradition is the tracing of the cross upon a forehead in baptism. Only adults at the time were baptized, but the tracing of the cross began sometime in the second century. And some have suggested that this ritual, this tradition, came because in the earliest days of the Christian faith, roughly the first 300 years, in the Roman Empire, it was illegal to be a Christian. It was outlawed, right? And at the same time, the Romans branded, literally branded their soldiers so that when they sent them off to the far-flung regions of the Roman Empire, there would be a twofold reason. One is the soldiers would look down and remember to whom they belong, the emperor. But also anyone who encountered them would know that they belong to the empire. And in response to that, Christians, and this was an act of protest, began to make the invisible sign of the cross on the forehead of those who were baptized as a way of stating to the individual baptized and to one another that we, you, belong to no earthly kingdom, no emperor, no political party, no nation. You belong to God. And so the cross, an instrument of torture, emerges as a symbol of freedom and hope. And the cross testifies that sometimes victory can at first be disguised as defeat. I don't know about you, but this recent return to some cold weather, a snow a day or so ago, reminds me that spring is not yet 
but still on the horizon. And sometimes at this time of the year, we sing a hymn that has this verse in it. In the cold and snow of winter, there's a spring that waits to be. There's a dawn for every darkness, bringing hope to you and me. Exactly. There's a spring that waits to be. Every night is followed by the dawn. And the cross, even the season of Lent, both testify that victory is often at first disguised as defeat. But the season of Lent and the cross as our central symbol, both in the end, bring hope to you and me. So come to this table with that hope in your heart. May it be so. Friends, it is the custom and conviction of this congregation to practice an open communion, which means that all those who wish to receive, God, receive God's love and forgiveness in this bread and in this cup are welcome to share in it. You will be served on each of the ends of the pews by members of our diaconate, and then you will serve the person next to you and pass it down. As we pass the bread, we say the bread of life. As we pass the cup, we say the cup of God's love. But friends, this table is open to all who confess Jesus as the Christ and seek to follow Christ's way. Come this morning to this table, not because you must come, but because you may come. Come not because you are already fulfilled, but because in your emptiness, you stand in need of God's mercy and assurance. Come to this table then, siblings in Christ, just as you are. Let us pray. God of all mercy, we confess before you and each other that we have not always been faithful to you. We have lacked love for our neighbors. We have wasted opportunities to do good. We have looked the other way when you cry out to us in the suffering of our siblings in need. We ask your forgiveness and pray for strength that you will, we may follow in your way and love all your people with the perfect love that casts out fear. Amen. And hear these comforting words. If we repent and believe in God's redeeming mercy, our sins are forgiven. Let us pray. Consecrate by your Holy Spirit, O God, this bread and this cup, and bless us as we receive them at this table, that we may offer you our faith and praise and be united with Christ and with one another. May we continue faithful in all things. Amen. We remember on the night of Jesus' betrayal and the eve of his death that he gathered the disciples together for the feast of Passover. And there Jesus took the bread and after giving thanks for it, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do so in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after they had eaten together, he poured out the cup and he said, 
This cup is the new covenant, my love poured out for you. Whenever you drink from it, do it in remembrance of me. Ministering to you in Christ's name, we give you this bread.